By join me, I mean Ali. No, stay up here for a second. I want to uh, say, Seth, you're amazing. And that's the Seth. Some of you didn't recognize him because he has big boy pants on right now. It's really good. He usually wears shorts. I've never seen him in pants. Like, seriously, this is weird. I'm adulting You today. are adulting. I'm that's adulting. good. You know, the other thing about Seth is he is a, uh, is a veteran, a, a former staff sergeant in the Air Force. And this uh, Wednesday is Veterans Day. I would love you to stand, vets. If would you just let us honor you. Would you please stand? Let's give it up for these guys and gals. Thank you. Well done. Okay, leave. Well, I am uh, I'm excited to be with you guys today. We were going to do um, a few things this morning. Um, one of the things I want to do is I'm going to start with a little family chat. We're going to be in our series, 1,000 Gifts. You've got your Bible or your Bible app. Open up to James chapter 1, and if you pull your phone out, it might be a good time to put it on silent as well. But we'll get to James 1 in a bit. Uh, before we do... I need to have a little chat, a little family talk with East Pointers. I've probably done this maybe two or three times in the 12 or 13 years that we've been around. Been around. But it's a timely uh, opportunity for me to bring some things to your attention. We, um, as a church, most of you know we primarily exist for those who are not yet in it. As a church, we exist primarily for those who are not yet in the church. Now, does that mean we don't care about Christians and discipleship? Of course not. We do all sorts of things to uh, help you grow. Uh, every Sunday we teach from the Bible. We provide family night and, and a one, an amazing program, and adult classes and adult classes on Sunday. We do a lot to help you grow. Of course, we care about Christ followers. But here's our conviction. Here's my deep conviction that Jesus' last command to go into all the world and to tell the good news is our first commission. It's found in Matthew 28. That Jesus' last thing he said to the guys and to us is, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to tell everybody about me. Tell them the good news. And that his last command is, in fact, our first commission. It's absolutely a priority for us. And every week, what excites me about East Point, uh, are many things, but one of them is that every week, uh, somewhere between three, four, five, six, sometimes as little as one or two, sometimes as many as nine or ten. But every week around here, people pick up the New Believers packets and make decisions to follow Christ every week. We had, uh, back in the end of August, we did water baptisms. We had like 24, 25 people sign up. We baptized 50 people that day, almost 50 people in, in, in water. And the, God is doing some amazing things in lives, and that's why we're here. That's why we exist. The challenge, however, of being a church that has lots of new Christians, and lots of people even new to the church, is that many of them are also very new to the teachings of the Bible, uh, and in particular uh, regarding giving. And the concept of sacrificial giving to a church or faithfully giving to a church is something that they haven't yet understood, and perhaps it's a value that they haven't yet fully embraced. Well, what's my point? Why am I talking about this? Well, the more established and traditional churches filled with older and more mature and, and uh, established Christians, the per-person giving rate in churches like that is much higher. It's just a fact. And churches that, it's kind of sad and kind of ironic, that aren't reaching as many lost people, that don't have as many new, new Christians, they tend to have more money because they have a lot of people who've been around for a long time. And those that are newer have less um, giving. And I understand that reality. And I just said, I'm excited about what God is doing. But what it requires of those of us that are more mature and further along in our walk with Jesus is a faithfulness on our part to give. To give faithfully so that we can reach more like we were reached and bring more into relationship with Jesus. This series that I'm in is all about thankfulness. And so let me just take a pause, take a, a moment, and I want to thank you. I want to thank the many of you who give so faithfully. I don't look at the giving records 
I know what the staff and the board does. That's it because you know they're in that those positions. I don't look. I I couldn't tell you what you give. I don't. That's not my point. But I do know that many of you. The fact that we exist and that we have been able to do some amazing things, like pay for this auditorium remodel about four years ago in cash and not go into any debt, is because many of you have been exceptionally faithful, sacrificially given uh, time and time again. And I want to thank you. Seriously, without you, we would not exist. Thank you for that. But I need to bring you into, up to speed, and again, this is me having a little family meeting, that our current monthly uh, budgeted income is about $82,000 a month. Now, if that seems like a lot, it's not. Not for a church our size, not for a facility that we have. And the truth of the matter is we, we, we actually have a very lean budget. Trust me, I've been doing this a long time. And I have pastor friends, and you can talk to, to a lot of different people in my roles, and they will, they're shocked at how lean and mean our budget is. And in most organizations, uh, whether it's IBM or East Point, uh, typically in most organizations and most businesses, about 50% of the, uh, their income goes to salaries. And along those lines, I need you to know that um, there's not um, uh, been a lot of, of a change in that in our realm. In fact, I'll be more specific that since 2009, over the last six years, most of the staff has only had one raise in six years. And that doesn't even, not, not even a cost of living increase. So in six years, most of the staff has only had one increase. Some of them had none. We also have three staff members, and you may not know this, but uh, Matt King, uh, Nathan Reinhardt, who's sitting over there, and um, Teresa Art, our women's pastor. They spend, invest hundreds, hundreds of hours, and they don't get a dime. They are volunteer staff. They're not paid. And so my point in saying that is not to make anybody feel bad. I'm not twisting arms. That's not who I am. Just to kind of paint the broader stroke picture, this isn't about money for the staff. Uh, you know, if I wanted to be rich, I never would have gone on a pastoring. You know, that, that's just, that's not the case. But the bare minimum needed for us to pay our bills, to, to take care of the staff, facility, costs, ministries, the things we do, is 78000 a month. And that's running on fumes. Let me give you another thanks. I'm thankful that this past summer was one of the best summers we've ever had. Um, in fact, it's really unusual to me. That's why I'm, I need to have this talk. It's like, huh. Because May, June, July, August, typically we drop 30, 35% in our giving. Why? Well, because our tenants drops 30 or 35%. It's the summer in the great Northwest. When I first moved here 25 years ago as a pastor, I used to fight it. I give up. I don't fight it anymore. It's the Northwest, and people go, and it's outdoors. I understand that reality. But last year, we started asking you to uh, go online and to set up recurring uh, online giving. And we were running about 30% of you were doing that. Uh, over a year ago, we're now up to about 50%. And again, thank you for that. And one of our board members stood up here a month or two ago and said, hey, when we get to 80%, we'll stop passing the buckets. So the fact that you were giving and gave consistently throughout May, June, July, August, we, for the first summer in, in years and years, that we didn't have to tap into our giving even one time, into our, excuse me, into our, uh, our meager savings one time to supplement our giving. But something unusual has happened in September and October and as a pastor who cares and loves this church and loves you, I uh, wanted you to be in the loop. I just need to bring you in on what's happened. September, we uh, saw our income uh, drop to 67000 And I said uh, we have a budget income of eighty two. Do the math. That's $15,000 that we missed budget by in September. I didn't, you know, I thought, well, yeah, September, and people aren't quite back. We had a beautiful September, like the longest summer ever. And school starts up, and people have you know, their kids in football and pay, you know, $19,000 to buy all the equipment and all the stuff they got to do. I mean, I understand. So, I, yeah, that's all right. 
it'll be fine, we'll, 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 it'll be better in October. October was better by about $900. Uh, we went from 67,000 to 68,000, or just under that in October. So we missed budget again by about 14 or 15,000. If you look at the pulse, typically we put it in there just so you'll know uh, where we're at and our budgeted versus actual income. And we're now about 37,000 behind. When we were 7,000 or so behind, it's like, oh, you know, that's not too bad in a budget our size. But when we've got a trend that's happened in September, October, where we dropped 30,000 almost in two month, months, um, it's time for me to bring that to your attention. Now, this is not me in a panic. This is not me twisting arms. You guys know me. If you're new and you're, you're visiting today or a friend invited you, they're freaking out right now because they're thinking, oh, my goodness, why does he have to talk about this the day I bring my, my spouse, my friend? You know, I understand. Guys, here's the reality. You know, it takes income. It takes finances to do anything. So this isn't me uh, panicking. This isn't me twisting arms. This is me just simply saying, matter-of-factly, that if we're to continue to exist in this facility and with this staff, I need you guys to step up and to give, and we need to reverse the trend. My wife and I, uh, from the day we were married, we faithfully have given uh, tithe. We have 10, 10% at least to every church that we've ever been a part of. The staff here at East Point faithfully gives at least, some of them far more than that. And in fact, the killer is some of them who don't make a dime, they give way more than you would imagine from their family income to our church. And, I, you know, we support other things. Laura and I support Guatemala, a, a kid. We, we do other ministries. But we believe it's biblical to, to support the church, the family. You know, it's like where you put your feet under the table, you take care of your family first. And, and that's biblical. And we, we put the bulk of what we do into this church, into this community. Now, I know the minute I said tithe, the minute I said that, uh, in fact, I will be honest with you, I, I, last service we had three or four people that got up and started walking out about now. And it wasn't because the kid was screaming. It was because they, they got ticked off. They got mad. Guys, I'm, I'm being as honest and matter-of-fact with you about this as I can. And I understand that this is a hot button for many. I know some have been abused and manipulated. That is so not us. We talk about money maybe twice a year. Out of 52 weeks, I might teach on it. And by the way, the reason I do that is because, hello, Jesus taught on it. One out of seven things Jesus taught was about money. And why? Because he said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. The reason why this ticks people off is because it's a heart issue. Let's just get real. So I understand that. I know that. And I know some get really, you know, they're upset when people, pastors, talk about tithe. Well, that's Old Testament. That's not the Bible. And we're New Testament believers. Well, I don't fight with those people anymore. But can I just humbly, simply mention a couple things? Number one, Matthew 23, 23. Jesus affirmed the practice of tithing. Look it up. Matthew 23, 23, Jesus affirmed it. But just for the sake of argument, because I know it's such a big hot button, let's set that aside. Let's not even use the T word. Let's talk about what the, the unbelievable volume of other scriptures in the New Testament that talk about sacrificial giving, generous giving, giving faithfully to the kingdom. Jesus in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God. There's, there's this principle taught over and over and over and over again about generous, faithful, sacrificial giving. In fact, Jesus went as far, wasn't me, Jesus went as far as to put it this way. He said that if you, you, can't, if you can't give up everything, you can't be my disciple. To follow him means you surrender everything. So, you know, the, the idea of 10 versus 90%, well, how about 100%? Because that's the call. That's what Jesus taught. So I don't argue with people about this anymore. I simply like to remind them, well, the New Testament has a higher call. And you're right, we're not under the law. But if under the law we were required to give 10%, then under grace, what is a more reasonable response? 
something to think about. Well, let me get to the bottom line. I'll move on. We have at least 500 adults. Uh, with the rain and the weather and the fact that there's no Seahawks today, we probably ran 700 adults today. Uh, last service was fuller than this one. 500 at least. Let's just say, to round it off, at least 500 adults. If every adult, not family unit, but every adult gave $160 a month, that's $40 a week, we would make budget every month. we make budget, and then some, every month. Now, I know that for some, uh, $40 a week is, in fact, a tithe. You don't make a lot of money. I understand that. But let's, again, be real. For most of us, we don't live at poverty level. Some do, I understand that. But a lot of us, you know, 40 bucks a week is far, far less, far less than a tithe. It's probably closer to 2, 3, 4, or 5%. And if we all stepped in, you know, you think, well, 82,000, that's a lot of money. Not when we all do our part. If every person who is giving now said, you know what, I, I can step up my giving a little bit. You know, I, I've kind of plateaued where I'm at. I'll give $8 more a week, the cost of a pizza. The people who are giving now, if they gave $8 more a week, which is about $30 a month, we would make up the 15000 My point being is when we share this load, we can get there. So if this is your church and you believe in our God-given mission, then I'm asking you as a pastor, I'm asking you as someone who loves you and loves this church to pray and to give and to give faithfully, to help us reach people beyond, uh, in this valley and beyond, who need to know him. And again, if you're a visitor, uh, ask anybody in this church, and they'll tell you, uh, we're not the church that twists arms. We're not the church that, that leans on people. But again, guys, you know, when I talk to even non-Christians and they start going off about money, which is a conversation I've had I don't know how many times, all the church cares about money. You know what I used to say to them? I said, you know, every organization on the planet takes money to exist. Every organization. They all do. Red Cross would not exist without donations from us. We give to the Red Cross, too. Every organization on the planet takes money to operate. So when you break it down to, let's just do economics 101. Let's just talk business. Set aside the God stuff if you don't like that. I, I, again, I don't use the T word if you don't want to talk about that. Let's just talk about the economics. It takes income. It takes resources, financial and human resources, to do any enterprise. And that's what I hope you'll understand and that you'll accept that. Along those lines, because I probably need to right now for some of you, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the many, and I mean many, who give faithfully and sacrificially and who have time and time again. Lord, I know some have, have bled for this church, and I'm so grateful for them. I know some, Lord, uh, are buried in red ink. They're on the verge of bankruptcy or worse. And they have no idea how to do this, Lord. But I believe, God, that if they honor you, you'll honor them. And that you are a redeeming God who, who specializes in helping us when we put you first. And that's why you said, seek first the kingdom. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would open our hearts to hear from your word, from your heart. And that if there's someone right now who's really, really angry with me, that you would just gently, as you do, Holy Spirit, remind them what really is at stake here. Lives. Eternity. And what's the value of one soul, Lord? I pray that we just walk out here today realizing that this is about changed lives and about eternity. And so help us, Lord. We need you. We look to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Let's move on. Thank you. Um, started last week a new series called 1,000 Gifts. Take it, uh, take it from the uh, book inspired by Ann Voskamp's book, 1,000 Gifts. We'll be in part two today. We're talking about the problem, the struggle that some of us have from time to time with being thankful. 
and we'll be in James 1. We'll get there in just a minute. Uh, one of the things that I read recently, it was fascinating. The University of Buffalo did a survey of 2,400 people, 2,400 folks, and they surveyed them over a four-year period. And they had set questions that they kept coming back and asking them. What they discovered was incredible. They discovered that those who reported more adversity and difficulty in their lives had better mental health and well-being compared to those who had a fairly easy life. They did this study, 2,400 people, and they found out that those who uh, have a tough life, that toughness actually toughens them up. That those who experience struggle and difficulty become mentally and emotionally stronger. I think that's fascinating. Now, of course, there are exceptions. Uh, there is a tipping point. Some of you probably feel like you're there or over the tipping point. But there is a tipping point where the onslaught of continual struggle can begin to break us down. I get that. I know that. But what they're saying is that there is a benefit. There is some good that can come out of as much as we hate it. How many love hardship? Yeah, no, we, no, as much as we don't like it, that there is some good that can come, can come out of it in our lives. And it's interesting that we would mention that because James uh, said this same thing in James chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 1, James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, a uh, little side note, James is literally the half-brother of Jesus. And I find it interesting, and again, it's really incredible here that he says, I am a slave, I'm a servant of my brother. You think he recognized who Jesus was? Oh, yeah. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. This is James' way of saying, hi. Verse 2, doesn't mince words, kind of jumps right into it. If you've ever read the book of James, you get the idea that this is what he does. Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, typically, we preachers, we stop right there. Uh, I don't know how many times I have taught or you have heard messages on trials and, and struggles, and we read this passage from James, and we say, suck it up, buttercup, just, you know, this is good for you, you'll be fine, just endure, it's going to help you grow in your faith. And we stop at that point, and we miss something very important. That in the context of struggle and trials, James talks about another very critical word. And it's in the same paragraph in most of your Bibles. It's in the same breath he talks about wisdom. Let's read on. Verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, how many of you lack wisdom from time to time? Yeah, if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed and blown, tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now here's what I want you to understand. I need to connect the dots for you. If you are to embrace trials and struggles, if, if you are actually to have an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of joy regarding them, then it requires wisdom. That's why James puts this in this context. Wisdom, a wisdom that comes from God. You see, wisdom is not the same as knowledge or intellect or even savvy. Wisdom, especially godly wisdom, is the ability to discern what is true, right, and lasting. Great example of that is Solomon, King Solomon from the Old Testament. He was able to discern what is true, right, and lasting. And he was known as the wisest king to ever rule Israel, probably one of the wisest men to ever live. So wisdom is this ability to discern. But I've got another way. Here's a Bubna definition of wisdom. It'll be on the screen. Wisdom is having a godly perspective and insight regarding how God wants you to handle your problems when they arise. 
Wisdom is having a godly view, a godly perspective, a godly understanding regarding how God wants you to handle your problems when, not if, but when they arise. It's seeing things from a different perspective. The only way you'll be able to have joy is if you have wisdom. I believe that. By the way, God's wisdom is not something we must qualify for. We don't have to earn it. We simply ask for it. It's not like God says, well, you know, I'll give you more wisdom, but you're an idiot. That's not the, you know, it's not the way he deals. God doesn't say, well, if you do X, Y, and Z, then maybe if you really work hard, I'll give you more wisdom. Verse 5 says, if you lack wisdom, here it is, ask. I love this. Ask God. And what does God do? Oh, okay, fine. No. It says, who gives generously to all, and I love this last part of the phrase, without finding fault. God gives generously. He's not looking for an excuse to hold it back from you. You just have to ask. He gives, and he does so without finding fault. He's not looking for a reason to not give you wisdom. And by the way, godly wisdom is far superior than human wisdom. In fact, often the wisdom of man is not the same as the wisdom of God. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 55. Let me read it to you, verses 7 and 9. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. You know, one of the things I hear from time to time is, you won't find, you know, grace in the Old Testament. Man, this is, this is God's mercy and grace. Let them turn, they'll have, God will have mercy, and he'll freely pardon. There's the grace, their sins. Verse 8 of Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Isaiah is prophetically speaking to the people, reminding them of this simple, powerful truth. God's better, smarter, wiser than we are. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's wisdom is different than human wisdom, and it often seems to go contrary to what we would normally, naturally think. Since I talked about finances, I'll give you a little financial story. True story, it's a great one. About six months ago, a guy grabbed me in the lobby. He said, I gotta tell you a story, Pastor Greg. He said, great, I love stories. In fact, after the last service, a young woman came up to me and told me her story. But I'll stick with this one since I, I, I know where I'm going. But it, it was great. He said to me, he said, I was doing my bills, and I, I, I started writing all the checks, you know, the, the Vista and the rent and blah, 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 taking all these things. And I, and I got down to, to the end, and I was gonna write my tie check, and I realized I was out of money. He did what I suspect a lot of us have done at times. We pay everything else, and then we give God the leftovers. By the way, by the way, that's not biblical. Proverbs 3, we give God our first fruits. We give to him first. Jesus, John, uh, excuse me, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. God doesn't want leftovers. He says, no, put me first, and then I'll take care of the rest. But he says, well, I, I paid all my bills. I got done. I, I, I realized I, if I wrote the tithe check, my wife would not have grocery money or gas money when she goes to the store this next week. He said, God, what do I do? He asked for wisdom. What do I do? And God said, write the check. So I wrote the check, and I dropped it in the mail on Monday, not having any, any idea how my wife was going to buy groceries or get gas. I didn't even tell her because I was afraid she'd hurt me. <laughs> he said, so I got this incredible story. He said, Friday, I got the mail, and I opened up the, the mail, and there was an ex unexpected extra bonus check in the mail that covered exactly what we needed for groceries and gas. And he said, wow, I guess God is wiser than me. It was a great story, great example. And look, just for the fun, because I did this the first service, how many of you have similar stories just like that? Raise your hands high. Look around the room, guys. 
Half the people say, yep, I've been there. I've experienced that same thing. So have we time and time again. We must turn to the Lord and trust in his wisdom, knowing that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are better than our ways. And again, that's why, that's why I love this, that James connects wisdom in the context of trials. You are not going to be joyful and th unless you have this godly perspective, until you have this understanding. The only way you can have joy in the midst of your struggles is to have God's insight when you face them. Let me say that again. The only way, I believe this, that you will have joy in the midst of your struggles is to have godly perspective. Now, you can gut it out and maybe make a choice, but to truly have joy, to truly experience joy, to have that means you've got to have this godly insight, this perspective, this shift in your view. And God's Word tells us to have a different perspective regarding our trials, and that comes when we have His wisdom. Wisdom is having a godly perspective and insight regarding how to handle our trials when they happen. Listen to verse 2 again of James 1. And tell me if this is human or godly wisdom. Consider it pure Pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Sounds like godly wisdom, because it sure isn't normal, natural human wisdom. This is what James has to say. Let me just quickly read to you from what Paul wrote in Romans 5.3. It'll be on the screen. It says, we also celebrate, we rejoice in seasons of suffering. Now, if you're listening, you're probably going, this is just whacked. These guys are, what are they thinking? Well, Paul says, we celebrate in seasons of suffering because we know, similar to what James says, because we know that when we suffer, we develop endurance. James and Paul both essentially said the same thing, that we know what's happening, and therefore we are able to rejoice, to celebrate. The question that rattles me here, maybe it's rattled a few of you, is do I know? Both James and Paul said, for I know that when I suffer, I develop, do I know that in seasons of suffering, I'm actually growing and that that's an opportunity for me to become more like Jesus? Do I know that? And again, I think the only way I'm going to know that and accept that and embrace that is when I have God's wisdom, his insight, his perspective. C.S. Lewis once said this, if you think of this world as a place intended simply for your happiness, you will find it quite intolerable. And I have met people like that that basically think that the world's all about making them happy. And if you expect that, he says, you're going to pretty much find planet Earth intolerable. However, he says, if you think of it as a place of training and correction, then it's not so bad. There's wisdom. I so agree. St. John of Avila put it this way. One act of thanksgiving when things go wrong with us. Hello. One act of thanksgiving when things go wrong with us is worth a thousand thanks when things are agreeable to our inclinations. Here's what I want you to consider today, and I want you to think on this. I want you to, this is the takeaway I hope for you today. Don't let the troubles of your life rob you of the joy that comes from a thankful heart. I'm begging you. I know some of your stories. I read the prayer requests. This last week, a couple of them just broke my heart. I know some of you are facing deep struggles, but don't, I'm begging you, please don't let the troubles of your life rob you of the joy that comes from a thankful heart. Because one act of thanksgiving when things go wrong with us is worth a thousand thanks when things are agreeable. You see, it's easy to be thankful when things are easy, isn't it? It's not hard to be thankful when everything's going the way you want it to, right? When life is good, when you win the lottery, yeah! 
But when you get that notice from the IRS that you're being audited, yeah, you know, it's not so easy. It's hard. But the challenge that I'm putting to you today, and I believe this is absolutely taught in the scriptures, is that we need to choose to not let the troubles rob us of the joy. And you've all known bitter, embittered, you know, harsh, mean-spirited, vile people. And I guarantee you, somewhere along the line, they let the troubles of life rob them of their joy. When you came in today, you got one of these bookmarks. It's 1,000 gifts I'm thankful for. And I, I, if you didn't get one, we'll have some on the table. I want to encourage you to grab these and take it. And, and in fact, pull it out right now. Some of you, maybe, because uh, some of you are overachievers, you started listing on here things you're already thankful for with that nice little cheap pin we gave you. And you already started listing things that you're thankful for. And I bet you, here's what I bet. I bet that when you first saw this, not one of you thought, I'm going to put it, I'm thankful that I cracked my crown this week. Or I'm thankful that I ran out of gas and had to walk five miles. Or I'm thankful that my car blew up. Or I'm thankful, no, you, we tend to not think about putting things like that on. Come on, am I the only one? We, that's not our natural inclination. We don't typically go there when we start thinking about the things we're thankful for. But what if? What if, like I talked about last week, what if we choose to be thankful? Not necessarily for everything. I'm not thankful for the fact that I had cancer four years ago. Not at all. But I am thankful for what happened. I can be thankful in everything because of what I know it's doing in me and through me. What God is doing because of that life-changing experience I had called cancer. What if we choose to be thankful for the things that we might typically not list on here? What if, and I, you know, I hope you take this home and use it for a while, stick it in the refrigerator or in your Bible or someplace you will see it. And what if you listen to some things on here that might not normally show up on your Thanksgiving list? Here's what the word says. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Celebrate always. Pray constantly. And here it comes. And give thanks to God no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. This is God's will for you. Celebrate always. Hearing a consistent theme? Pray and give thanks to God no matter what the circumstances are that you find yourself in. And Paul wrote, because this is God's will for you. I can't tell you how many hundreds of times people come and say, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know if I should marry that guy or not. I don't know if I should take this job. I don't know what God's, pray that I know God's will. And I always smile. I go, I will pray, but can I show you one quick passage in 1 Thessalonians 5? And I always just love to grab my Bible and say, here's, here's a great place to, to start. Want to know God's will for you? Here it is right here. Give thanks to God no matter what. You're confused. You're frustrated. You don't know what to do. Can you thank God for that? Give thanks to God no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. I'm challenging you today to give thanks to God no matter what. And to ask him for wisdom. You won't find joy unless you do. To say, God, help me have your perspective. Help me see this from a different angle, from a different view than I typically would on my human wisdom on my own. Give me wisdom so I can be thankful and give you praise for this thing that I don't like, but this thing that I know that you're doing something in my life through it. In Ann Voskamp's book, 1,000 Gifts, she writes this in chapter 9. I'm almost done. She said, while I may not always feel joy, I love this quote, God asked me to give thanks in all things because he knows that the feeling of joy begins in the action of thanksgiving. God asked me, he asked you, to give thanks in all things because he knows that the feeling of joy begins in the action 
of thanksgiving. It's in the choice that we make. to say, God, I don't really like this. In fact, God, I would really like it if you'd stop, take this away, if you'd remove this struggle from me. But while I'm here, I, I want to thank you for what I know you want to do in me. Help me grow. Help me become more like you. You know, my back's been out since April. I mentioned that a couple of times. And I have lived for the first time in my life with chronic pain every day, every day. It's a two or a three. Sometimes it spasms to six or seven for a few seconds or a few minutes. And occasionally it's so bad that it drops me to my knees. I, I literally at one point fell on my knees in the laundry room and I was excruciating pain, screaming out, ah, I'm a real baby. And my wife comes running in, what's wrong, what's wrong, are you having a heart attack? And I said, no, I wish I was. That would have been easier because I was in excruciating pain. And I've been every day, it's, it affects my, it's affected my sleep, it's affected my mental well-being, it's affected my, my attitude, and uh, sadly, in some ways, it's affected my soul. And a few weeks ago, uh, I read again, about a month ago now, I read for the second time Ann Voskamp's book on Thanksgiving. Got totally busted by God again by this. And while I was in that, the Holy Spirit one morning just spoke to me, Kurt, can you have an attitude of gratitude despite the pain you're in? Now here's what I wanted to say. No. <laughs> How stupid is that? Just heal me. And God is so patient with me. Just so patient. Kirk, can you have an attitude of gratitude right now despite your pain? <sighs> okay. Okay. I will. And then the next day I had to make the choice again. Okay. I will. But my soul is better because joy begins in the action of thanksgiving. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, thank you for being so patient with me, for being so patient with us. Thank you, God, that we uh, are never alone in the struggle. I thank you that even though we hate some of the things we're going through and, and we ache and it rips our guts out, Lord, I, I thank you that in the midst of that, if we choose, if we make the, the choice to turn our hearts to you and to ask you for wisdom, that we can truly find joy in the midst of that struggle. And I think, Lord, I just, I know that, that ought to mark our lives. As Christ followers, that ought to be one of the biggest indicators to a watching world that you, you're for real. Because they see us going through the, the horrific angst, the, the struggle, and yet they see something in us that is joy unspeakable. And Lord, I, I just I pray today that I, I know that many in this room, many watching online, are in a really tough place right now. Give them your wisdom, Lord. Give them wisdom to have a godly perspective, a godly insight, so that they can move towards joy. The joy begins in the action, the action of thanksgiving. Help us to thank you. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And I mentioned earlier, every week, we've got at least a handful of people that say yes to him. And you're here today. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I still have lots of questions, but I, I get this. 
I get that God loves me. I get that I'm a sinner. I get that I need grace. And so you're ready. And you're thinking you've got to qualify yourself. You don't. You're thinking you've got to get all your you know, stuff together. No, you don't. Faith is the choice to say, God, I believe. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me. I believe that Jesus lives for me now. And I believe that you want to give me a new life. And so I, I'm going to surrender my old life, my current life, my existing life for you, for the life you have for me. And that's what you want. And if you're ready today, and no one's going to single you out, twist your arm, and I'm so glad you're on this journey. If you're still there, you're not, you're ready, that's okay. But if you are ready today, and in your gut, you know it's time for you to say yes, to embrace the gift, the gift, the free gift of salvation, of grace and mercy, then just make this prayer. I'm going to pray for you right now. This simple prayer, make it yours. Father, thank you for sending Jesus for me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for offering me this amazing gift of grace and mercy and new life. I, I really, it's overwhelming. I, I, I can hardly believe it, and yet I do. And so I surrender right now, right here, everything, who I am, what I've done. I surrender it all to you, and I embrace that gift of life. And today, I choose to become your child. I'm yours. I'm yours. Now, if that's you, you need to know the second you say yes to God, all of heaven rejoices. The Bible says the repentance, the choice of one sinner to say yes, that all of heaven is waiting with bated breath for you to say yes, to say yes. Lord, for those making that choice right now, show them who they are now in you. Show them what you are doing and what you're going to do. And seal them in their hearts that they belong to you, that they are forever yours. That they'll leave this place changed from the inside out because of grace, because of love. And it's in your name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. And I love this song. and It's a declaration song. It's a song that for some of you you'll be able to sing for the first time. It's truth. For others, you're going to have to sing it. Uh, because you know it is truth and, and it's a good reminder of what God has done for you. But let's worship and I'll come back and wrap it up. I love that song because of what it says about the fact that Jesus died and all around him thought, that's it. It's horrible. This is the end. You know, the cross was only the beginning. The worst nightmare for the disciples and for Jesus became this incredible unbelievable statement of God's power over the darkest powers. And if God can do that through Jesus, the resurrected Christ, the empty tomb reminds us that no matter what we face, no matter what you're going through, when we have his wisdom, his insight, his perspective, we can say, God, I don't get this yet, but I trust you and I will thank you in the midst of it. Today, if you began your life as a Christ follower, man, I'm thrilled that you made that decision. Tell somebody, come tell me. On the tables, by the doors, it's a packet for new believers. It's got a Bible, some material starting your walk with Jesus. Uh, December 6th, our First Steps class coming up. 
it's one Sunday morning class, take that. Baptisms happen December 13th. Get baptized. We want to journey with you. And this is the beginning for you of an incredible journey into eternity. We want to walk that with you. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. Communion is always available on both sides of the room. Before you leave today, you can do that. If you miss the buckets, you can dump your offering or your prayer request in the black boxes on the wall as well. But here's my hope. Here's my prayer for you. I don't know what you're going to face this week. I don't know what's coming. He does. But what I do know is you can choose to be thankful no matter what. Go be thankful. God bless you guys. Thanks for being here today.